trying to keep up with the car. Oh, that's what that means. Okay, now I understand what keeping up with the Kardashian. I get it now. Okay, it all, it all makes sense. We may have even said like a year ago, like, oh, this is really good. We're <laughs> gonna go read more of his stuff. Clearly, we haven't. But I think this book has kind of made me think that way before I hit the tweet button. That's smart. Things. I text most of my thoughts to you. Though, yes, so. I'll publish those if you ever get on my bad side. <laughs> I almost shy away from the ones that are read by a narrator. Would it be more appealing if it was like a Muppet reading it? It would depend on the book. Hi, I'm Michelle, an entrepreneur and creative business coach. Hi, I'm Steve, and I'm a social media and digital content strategist. We're friends with a shared passion for creativity in all its forms. Through this podcast, you'll find ideas to help up your game and share experiences with a community of creatives who understand what it's like to work and create in a digital world. If the episode you're about to hear sparks something inside you, share your voice by connecting with us on social media at pod for creatives on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. What is your history with books and reading? I don't do an awful lot of book reading now. Um, I didn't do an awful lot of book reading as a kid. And I think the last time I ever seriously read for a purpose was, did you ever have those things when you were growing up as kids where if you read a certain number of books, you got like a free personal pizza at like Pizza Hut or something like that? Yeah. That was I, the extent of my my book reading. Like, You for, need an for, incentive. For, I need an incentive. Um for the longest time, I used to just tell people that my and people ask, "What's your favorite book?" You know, it's a, I always used to tell them of Mice and Men, and they're like, "Oh, that's a great book." I'm like, "I know, I love it." It was the only book I ever read in high school because <laughs> it was the smallest book. I mean, that tells you kind of where where I am now. All right, I'm coming from the opposite end of the spectrum, where as soon as I learn to read like chapter books, you know, little kid chapter books, I was kind of hooked and I rarely would go places without having a book with me um and maybe that's just a little bit of introverting like you can hide and be by yourself and be entertained by always having a book with you um I feel like I kind of fell off the wagon a little bit uh in high school and in college high school you know made you read all of those books that everyone had to read, most of which at the time, at least, I didn't really have an appreciation for or an interest in. And I kind of got it in my head that like, there's nothing out there that I really want to read. So I kind of like went through a period where I read like nothing probably for, I don't know, like six to eight years. And then I don't know, I I got back into it post-college. And then once I started my business, became obsessed with reading business books, self-help books, and now I'm plugged into them constantly, mostly through audiobooks. But I know that we have one book at least in common that we both enjoyed, or at least the author. Have you read all of Gary Vee's books or like what was the, did, was it one of his books that um, introduced you to him or did you find him first and then find his books? I found him through a, uh, a, uh, a talk that he did at um, I, I found him through a talk that he did that I ended up coming across a video of him on YouTube and this was yeah, it's a while ago it's it was a long I don't remember how many years ago but it was a number of years ago um, and then through that video I kind of found out more about him found my way to his website and then at the time he was pushing a new 
book called Jab, 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 Right Hook. Um, and that was the first Gary V book that I ever read, um, fell in love with him and the concept of giving and giving and giving to your audience. And, um, we did an Instagram post on, on the PFC account not too long ago where there was a point in time for me where it clicked, uh, about when you make it all about giving to the audience, um, and less about what you're trying to communicate and really just more about putting it in their laps, you start to see the investment pay off. And that whole theory and concept sort of came from, from Gary V. Awesome. Was that the book you were thinking of? Uh, it was, I feel like I knew that you liked that book, but I wasn't sure if you had read crush it before that, or if you had found him through his books, period. I read Crush It after, um, because that was that was I know a big thing for for him. But but Jab 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 Right Hook was the was the first Gary Vee book that I read. Okay, my first I started with Crush It. I found him. Um, I think it was through a podcast. Um, and yeah, Crush It. Like I feel like it really kind of changed my life. That kind of introduced me to the concept that if you're passionate about anything in the world, no matter how obscure it is, you can make it into a profitable business online. Um, and I feel like I've given that book to so many people. I've recommended that book to so many people. And yes, I think I've read all of his books that followed even Thank You Economy, I think is probably his more lesser known yeah, book. I read I that, that one pretty right. recently. It's it's kind of funny to me now knowing Gary V and Everything that he's about, his content, obviously, we're both such big fans of him. We talk about him a lot. It's funny to me that he has written books. It almost does, just doesn't seem like it's his style. I mean, he has very openly spoken about the fact that he's not, he wasn't a good student. If you go on his social media feeds, he kind of shows off his D's on his report cards. <laughs> his report cards, yeah, that's right. Um, and I'm pretty sure that he writes with someone else. Like, I don't know if he has a straight up ghost writer, but in my mind, it doesn't seem like that is his uh, strength as far as it comes to communication. I, I think that he's a, a wonderful speaker. And, you know, I'm saying all that. I adore his books, but knowing the, the full picture now, it almost doesn't add up. Um, but I think that's kind of what what got him on the map was his books. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's been a good base and foundation for him and, and obviously a good source of, of, of income for him, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that he also says that that's really the only thing he ever asks of people. I mean, now he has in the last year or two started new ventures, he, his shoe venture, his wine <laughs> venture. But for many years, he made it the point that I am giving you all this free content all year and literally the only thing I'm asking of you is buy my book. That is it. Yeah. Yeah. So any other businessy books that have had an impact on you and, and what you do and work or just as a creative? There's a book by uh, an author. He's a crisis communications guru. Um, as a matter of fact, I believe that's even what he dubs himself. His name is uh, Jim Lukashevsky. Uh, there's a book that he wrote a number of years ago uh, called Why Should the Boss Listen to You? Uh, and it's The Seven Disciplines of the Trusted Strategic Advisor. Now, this is a book that if you ask anybody I work with, it's like um, our Bible. Uh, it's something that we advise every new uh, person on our team to read. 
and basically it's, you know, you come into these roles that we're in and, and yes, a lot of what I do is heavy in digital and, and social media and, and video. Uh, but at the core of what we do as PR professionals, there's a lot of strategic advising. Uh, so that's helping our superintendents and helping our, our school administrators navigate through crisis situations, um, you know, how to, how to, how to form messages open and honestly and, and navigate certain situations and hurdles. And at any rate, this book, um, I've read it a number, I've read it twice. Um, and I actually had the chance to go to like a two day, two day, I think a two day seminar with him, oh, uh, awesome. Jim Lukashevsky. Yeah. This was a couple of years ago down in the city, but that was, that was really cool to, to, to get a chance to meet him and, and kind of learn at, you know, at, at, at his feet. But this book is great. It, it talks a little bit about the disciplines that you need as a PR professional to counsel, you know, administrators, CEOs, um, people who are the higher ups in an organization. And they're, they're things like being trustworthy and, and being a verbal visionary and, and thinking strategically and being a window to tomorrow, things like understanding the power of patterns. And it's a really insightful book into the minds of someone who thinks critically in critical moments um, and how you can use what you do when there isn't a crisis happening to kind of build that trust with your boss. So when the crisis hits, they're more apt to turn to you and say, okay, Steve or Michelle or whomever, what do you got? Um, so it, that has helped me a lot. I read that very early on in my career. Um, I have it still have it. It's a signed copy from him. It's something that is, was one of my more uh, treasured books. Um, so yeah, that's been one of my, one of my favorites over the years. Have you read it more than once or do you, now that you're talking about it, think that you would read it again? I probably wouldn't go back to it now. I've read it twice since I've got, since I've came into contact with it. Plus took that seminar. I don't think I would go back to it just because I'm not somebody who, you know, I, I feel like I have enough of what was in there down now and, and through practice. And plus you develop your own methods. I think that's kind of the thing is, you know, you get these books that outline, here's how you do this. And, and if you do this, everything's going to work out fine, but it doesn't always necessarily work with your method. So I, I've always found when I read books that, I try to go into it with an open mind that it's not necessarily like I'm reading it to take what that person is doing and, and apply it myself. It's, I can do this. I can do that. You know, I'm not so comfortable with this thing though, because it doesn't fit with my personality or this, or this senior administrator who I work with, that's not going to play well with that. And I know that. So, you know, I used to have convert. I mean, I, for, for instance, I used to work with in a school district where when I'd have to make a pitch for, you know, having a, uh, bringing on something that was going to cost money, a new service, a new program, a new initiative that I knew was going to cost money. When I would talk with our superintendent about it, I would talk about the benefits to our community. I would talk about the benefits to students, parents, and how it was going to aid in our communication and grow that platform. When I would talk to our business officer about it, I would talk strictly about the finance of it because he didn't really, he might've cared, but at the end of the day, he cared about the bottom line. So you would mm. talk about the cost benefit of certain things. So it's about navigating the room and the people who are in the room and knowing what you need to do to kind of get them to go along with you. I took that away from that book more than anything else. And this is something that you would definitely recommend to anyone who's in an organization like you are. Would you recommend it to uh, like bosses to give it to their employees? Like kind of as would. you guys have done, you said it's kind of like an onboarding for you guys at this point. 
I would. I think if anybody's working in a position where you're managing upwards at times, as much as, as you might be managing downwards, even if you have a staff of people underneath you, I think it's important to read this book because it does talk about why if you're advising anybody above you, not only how to do it, not only the, the, the traits that you need, the disciplines that you need, getting that seat at the table, you know, first and foremost, mm-hmm. how to earn that trust is is vital. If you don't have that, if you're not if you're not included, if they don't want you there or they see you as somebody who is not part of that that discussion, you're never going to have success to a, unless you start to take actionable steps to do that. So I think this book is 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 a good um is a good book for people who manage upwards or have um, even external clients that you know you're advising in some form or fashion. I think it's a good idea to 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 read this. Cool. I think it was funny when you were talking about that. I wasn't planning on talking about this book, but the concept of reading a book and taking the information and really applying it to your own life. Um, there's one specific book that I've read. I think I've read it a couple times that came to mind. It's called The Miracle Morning. And this book, in a very straightforward way, says that you can change your life if you start your morning by doing these six things every single morning. And it's um, exercise. I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher these now, but um, eat, pray, meditate, uh, read, set goals. You know, all all along those types of activities. And I remember when I first read it, I took it very literally for probably, I don't know, a couple of months. I (laughs) followed all of those steps because I wanted to have the miracle morning just like the author did. And And you did all of it and you looked up and you never had a morning, right? (laughs) I mean, like the whole morning was shot after that. Well, the thing is, all I kept thinking was, okay, I set my own schedule. I don't have kids. I call the shots. And even I was struggling with it. So I kind of felt like, I was a pretty good case study for if I can't get this to work for me the way that he's saying it, how is someone who has, you know, children or has to get up really early or whatever, whatever your circumstance is, how is that going to work for them? So in reading that book, I really learned you can't take things literally. You have to take the concept and apply it to your life. So what I did do after those months passed was to say, okay, I'm obviously like, I can't like take two hours to do this every morning, but I can take control of my day and decide how it's going to go out of the gate, even if it's a, you know, a 10 minutes or 30 minutes, but just to do something intentional to start my day. And, you know, I'm not the best about this. I go through phases, I'm sure like you or anyone else listening to this, but There are phases I go through where I try not to look at my phone at all until later in the day. I don't want that to be like the first thing I see. Or if it is the first thing I see, I go into it with the intention of I'm not doing this to like look at my own stories or my own feed to see like if I got likes, but I'm going on Instagram to be inspired by other people. And, you know, a lot of people talk negatively about starting your day in that way. But I feel like with the right attitude, like I look through my feed sometimes and I'm like, oh, like I really like that girl's outfit or like, hey, here's this like inspiring quote. And that gets my day off to a good start. So I don't know. What are your feelings on that? 
on on starting the day with social media from a guy's um, perspective. It's not to be inspired because of a quote. No offense. It's just not something that I've ever kind of, you know, found inspiration in. But I don't I don't knock people who do. I start my day with social media because it would have been like it's it's like rolling out of bed and, and having breakfast. It's just become it's it's now become what I do before I eat breakfast or have a cup of coffee from the from the reading standpoint, though, it does depend on what's in the feed. But I do like starting mornings out with um, think pieces. It doesn't necessarily serve to inspire, but there's usually something in there that, you know, I I can come across that either confirms a belief that I have or sometimes kind of just catches me by surprise and goes, oh, geez, you know, I wasn't thinking about this. And here's something that this that this you know, social network is experimenting with. This morning, uh, I woke up reading an article about how, you know, Instagram is, is doing some some tests with their iOS and Android platforms um, that, you know, they, they might be looking to, on a mobile platform, get rid of the news feed, uh, your, your traditional feed in Instagram and go to more of a uh, card, you know, think swipe left, swipe right, but more of a card-based platform, almost looking more like, like uh, what you would see your story platform kind of looking like on Instagram now. And that was something that, you know, we had some conversation about in a previous episode about the rise of, it, of of stories on Instagram and how that's kind of taking over a lot of what we do. So I do like those types of thought pieces. Sometimes in the morning, it's usually a good fodder for, for the day. Do you feel like you like being the first one to know about things? Yeah, I feel like I have <laughs> to be. And it's, and, and, and to be honest with you, it's something that I, I kind of pride myself on and it's a little selfish I, I admit that nobody, not, the world's not going to stop and I'm not, nothing's going to happen to me if I'm not the first to know about it. But I feel like I'm a part of a lot of either like underground Facebook groups or, or some groups in general on, on Facebook or certain threads on Twitter that, uh, or hashtags that I'll look for that carry a lot of these things and show, you know, leaks of updates and things like that, that they either hack into or that they work very hard to kind of uncover that you kind of almost become this like spy, you know, mm-hmm. that you get to get this information early enough. I mean, I've kind of carved out and I'm, I'm aware of this and this is not trying to be pompous, but I've kind of carved out a role on, on the team I work with, um, of this social media strategist. So, knowing this information early on is important to me. As a matter of fact, some, uh, a colleague of mine the other day, I had tweeted out that um, Instagram is now, uh, they have captioning options now on on content for artificial intelligence, updated or uploaded con- uh, closed captioning. And they give you an option to kind of add captioning now. And I had tweeted something out about how this is this is coming about. And a colleague of mine responded and said that she had seen this last night and she goes, and you were the first person I thought of. How does it feel to be associated, the first person associated in my mind with, with accessibility? And I just kind of chuckled at it. And that's a, it's a nice compliment. And also it's, it's kind of, it's kind of sick that that's where we are. But, um, yeah, it's very important to me to, to, to be on top of that stuff. I mean, if you're going to, if you're going to say, this is what I want to do in my life, I mean, I feel like, I feel like you have to take those steps to be as informed as possible. I mean, don't you kind of feel like that when you talked about kind of starting your own business that these self-help books and these business books that you're kind of reading, like it wasn't just like you were doing it because you were playing dress up, like you needed that information to help spur you on. Absolutely. I just want to say, I'm really glad that you're my informant because I feel like I would miss so much if you didn't kind of like 
you weren't the one to kind of like keep me updated, whether it's just a lot of times I just find things through your Twitter feed, but you're also really good about sending me the important stuff. And I really appreciate that you do that because I don't know, while I feel like I do a really good job about keeping up with trends, I feel like I get so much of my information either through podcasts or through reading and some of that information might be delayed. So I'm missing those like the big announcements, like the moment that they come out, I'm hearing about it kind of after the fact or someone's take on it versus, you know, being able to form my own opinion about it, which is also, I think, something that can be said about the way that um, the two of us process new stuff that come out. Typically, you're like, let's wait a minute. Like, let's see what happens. And I'm like, yeah, let's do it. So. <laughs> There's this fear of, of missing out. There's this FOMO from Michelle that Oh God, it's so hard to, no, but it's, I think that's natural because it's also the way it's presented. You know, when, when, when IG live came out or IGTV rather came out, you know, it was hard not to get caught up in it because if you, when you went on Twitter or you went, you know, like it was everywhere and everybody was trying to crack it. And I think what happens sometimes is, is that we, we, we get this itch to apply what we read to what we do without actually pausing and saying like, is it a fit? Is there a place for this? Do I have the capacity to do this? And I think that's something that kind of comes with knowing yourself and knowing your audience and knowing what's going to work for your brand. With the amount of information that's available to us, we're lucky um, and we're cursed because we're constantly trying to keep up with, with the Joneses or, or, you know, what's the social who, media equivalent for the Joneses, <laughs> the Kardashians, <laughs> maybe <laughs> we're trying to keep up with the car. Oh, that's what that means. Okay. Now I understand what keeping up with the Kardashians. I get it now. Okay. It all, it all makes sense. You know, I never really thought about it, but maybe we just uncovered like what it actually means. Like we think it's just like, they're so busy, but really like we're all just trying to be them. Oh, do you Maybe think, do you that think that's what it is? I love that interpretation. I certainly think it's applicable. I mean, I think it fits. You may but have I just think, uncovered something. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Feel, Either that, that or, or everyone listening to this is going to be like, uh, yeah. yeah. Guys, we, we knew that already. <laughs> Welcome to 2018. <laughs> I think it's a blessing that we have all this information and it's also a curse because there's a pressure to apply what we learn quickly um, mm-hmm. because other people are going to figure it out and we want to be the first. And I think we have to do our, our, our best to slow down. And when you're reading those pieces that are telling you how to, this is what the new change is going to be and this is what it means and this is how you have to react, take it with a grain of salt. I, I don't know if it's this is completely applicable, but one of my favorite, I'm going to paraphrase this, or maybe it is a direct quote, I, I bet I feel like I'm paraphrasing it, but one of my favorite Gary V quotes is, listen to everybody, respect no one. And mm. I, I feel like that's kind of my my interpretation when I'm reading something, which is I'll listen because there might be something out of this that's going to work for me. I'm not going to take everything that this person is saying and, and, and apply it because your situation is always going to be completely different from my situation. But the respect part of everything, I think, sort of comes in with this person is researching this for their, for their lane. And my lane is over here and I have to respect my audience and I have to respect myself and my brand by not just 
doing as this person is telling me to do, but I'll listen because there might be something out of that that I can actually apply. I think that's a good way to operate. I don't always do it, but ideally that sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. We've talked a little bit about books that are relevant to ourselves from a work standpoint. Are there books that you read that aren't necessarily, like you talked about the, you know, have a wonderful morning book. Um, <laughs> was, that the, was that the title? <laughs> the Miracle Morning. And it's by, it's by Hal Elrod, if anyone wants to look it up. Well, actually, in our show notes, put a list of all these books that we are referencing. So we also asked them. a bunch of you guys um, recently in an Instagram uh, post if um, you had a book or books that you would recommend from a creative standpoint to um, someone, what would it be? And you all kind of returned uh, some great uh, some great titles. Uh, I was looking up a number of them that I wasn't familiar with, and there were some really, some really good ones that actually kind of piqued my interest that I might be um, looking to get in uh, – get in contact with over the next couple of weeks but okay we'll put them in the show notes i do want to call out one of them because i didn't know if it was a joke or not this was submitted do you know what i'm gonna say is it by dan no i didn't see dan's oh don't what was dan. dan's don't worry about it just tell you the guide to not going to the movies it's by far, dan it's, it's far more is it not inappropriate <laughs> it's far more inappropriate <laughs> <laughs> then then your your made up title right there. Okay. <laughs> it's more of an also it's kind of an inside joke and I don't want to spend too much time on it because that's not fair to the rest of the people uh listening to this right now. So but it's it's let's not talk about it. Will we include it in the show notes? No, we will not. <laughs> oh, it's that inappropriate. Okay. Yes. It's not well it's not from a, well, you could argue that it is creative, but it's not Something I feel that like I feel we like have matches. to, like, we've talked nope. about this so much. Can we give nope. a hint? Can we ask our audience to message Dan if they want the answer? Because I would do it because I want the answer now. Okay. But you asked for this. I won't tell you exactly what it is, but I'll get as close yeah, as I can. It PG. It's a cookbook. Okay. And every food item or meal that's made in the cookbook has a certain ingredient in it. Okay. And every it's a, it's a, it's consistent all the way through and okay. I'll leave it. I'll leave it at that. Okay. I don't think I want to know beyond that. No, I told you you don't <laughs> want to know. So go on. You were saying, I guess that's creative. Appropriate for this. <laughs> All right. So the one that I wasn't sure if was a joke or not um, was submitted by Melissa on Facebook. Okay. Yeah. And she said any anything written by is it Austin Cleon? I mean, okay. I think I may be. We had getting, an Austin Cleon mention okay, uh, in one like, of the early episodes, like our first or second episode. But I think I may be getting Austin Cleon mixed up with. Do you remember we we were sharing some kind of quote and I said one person said it and you said another oh, no, person this said was it. Not, this it was not Austin that. wasn't the person. No, who... no, no, no. Austin Cleon. We rent. We referenced something that he talked about. I think it was in the inspiration versus stealing episode, and I think and he. I didn't know who he was, but evidently he's a pretty big deal. Okay. Um, and so, but he's he's well known. And and I think Melissa's uh, what she's saying is, is that she's a pretty big fan. So 
Okay. That I think it was real. I don't think that was I don't think that was a joke at all. <laughs> okay. We still Melissa's Melissa's I, I know Melissa. Melissa's she's she's a she's she's a funny person. She's she's a, a warm-hearted and a great uh, communications professional, but I don't think she would joke about something like this. I think she's okay. legit about it. And yeah. apologies to Austin and Cleon. I think we may have even said like a year ago, like, oh, this is really good. We're <laughs> going to go read more of his stuff. Clearly we haven't. <laughs> we've clearly like, we've clearly, we, we've met our quota for making fun of Austin Cleon in a, in a podcast for sure. I didn't even think one was possible, but we've done it <laughs> twice now. Yes. Anything else notable from the submissions? To be honest with you, I, I didn't take that good co- that close of a look. I was kind of distracted on the day that we um, put it out there. But I remember you texting me and saying, "Well, we got some good submissions." There were some good submissions, and I and I appreciate the fact that, like, you know, first of all, we appreciate the fact that you guys actually take the time to respond. Um, that. <laughs> means a lot to us. It does. Um, but there were some there were some good uh, responses that that came in. One of our our listeners um, mentioned the uh, autobiography of Malcolm X, um, which I think would be something that I'm not. I don't know how it would. I haven't never read it. Have you read that? I think I read it in high school. Did you really? Yeah, I don't completely remember it, but I remember having to read it for an assignment. Okay. To um, really retain I, it. No, well, there's not much in uh, high school that I think I've retained. No. Um, my sister actually responded and said The Artist Way yeah. by Julia Cameron, which was, um, I've never heard of that either. But again, we'll have a list of, of all the ones that have come in and we'll add those in the show notes. And I've heard um, of that, but I've not read it. Um, seems to be a common thread. <laughs> there was one on this list that I have read and liked, Big Magic. By Elizabeth Gilbert that was submitted oh. by Smitten With Inc. on Instagram. Our friend from across the ponds. Yeah. Hi, Helen, if you're listening. <laughs> you just do a British accent? It's French. Oh. <laughs> I thought, she, oh, she's from France. That's right. She, I well, she, she's... She, li- she lives in the UK, but she's French. Come on, Steve, <sighs> keep up. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I never get this right. I, I remember like we got into like a conversation in, in the direct me- <laughs> in the DMs one day and I said something about like something about the United States or whatever it is. And she was just like, well, that sounds great. But I, li- I live in France or I live in the UK rather. And I was just like, oh, I bet I wasn't paying attention to any of that. So yes, yeah. we have an international audience. Yeah. We need to remember that. Yeah. It's really cool. So back to your question maybe like five or six questions ago mm-hmm. were you asking me if there were other books beyond yeah get out of the, the work miracle realm and other things yeah right yeah no more miracle morning like is there anything that, <sighs> like you, that you read eh, you know something that you feel like scratches like a creative you know itch i'm actually reading a book right now the book is called joyful and it's by ingrid fatel lee i passed this book in in Target and the cover kind of caught my eye because it just had the word joyful on it really simply but then it had all this colorful confetti I'm like oh this looks like a book that I would enjoy and it is a nonfiction book she's has a design background I'm not sure she hasn't quite said it might be interior design um, because the book is about how environment and design 
can have an impact on us, our moods, and our dispositions. And I found it to be super interesting so far. Um, and I'm actually listening to it as an audiobook. I saw that cover in Target. I said, let me see if they have this on Audible because I have an Audible account and I've got all these credits to use. And then was in a bookstore last week and I passed the book again and I'm like, oh, I want to like pick this up so I can see pictures of things that she's talking about. But there are no pictures in the book, which is kind of weird to me. You would think listening to it that this thing would have all kinds of big, beautiful, colorful photos in it. So maybe she'll have some kind of companion guide uh, that comes out in the future. But yeah, that book is really great if anyone yeah. is interested in checking it out. Yeah. I've read a couple of books over the last few years that have been not related to anything work or creative um, social media wise, although there's a few that I have and I want to we'll talk about those in momentarily. But um, I find myself gravitating to a lot of like historical um, sports books Um a lot of times it's it's biographies. A lot of times it's um, about a point in time in, in history. I just recently um, finished a book called about Vince Lombardi and, and Tom Landry uh, when they both coached for the New York Giants. They were assistants under I think his name is Ali Sherman, uh, who was the head coach. But they were they were two assistant coaches coaching for the New York Giants. And they talked about their rise. Um, and then both of them, I believe within a couple of years of each other, um, maybe one or two years of each other left. Vince went to green Bay, Tom Landry went to Dallas. Um, and then they started this, you know, their, their most historical coaching careers, um, in those two cities. But that was a good book to read. I read a, a, a book, uh, earlier this year or maybe late last year about Joe Buck, um, who's, um, broadcaster many of you probably know if you've been paying attention to sports over the last 20 years he's um, everywhere he's everywhere but it was his um autobiography and that was that was really i i actually that's a that's a good book it was yeah. a really good book yeah tell um, me more about that because it's so funny like joe buck is someone that i see every week it's it feels like i see him every week and i feel like i've heard mixed things about him he obviously seems like a very um, someone who's like a very hardworking, passionate person to be yeah. to, to do so much. So is there anything you want to share? Because I probably won't read it. <laughs> yeah, he's in my mind, I think he's the best play by play announcer in sports today. Uh, he gets a bad rap because, you know, what happens with sports fans is I think we tend to listen to a lot of our home teams games. Take for baseball. We tend to listen to a lot of our home teams games on our local networks over the years. And then when the team plays a national game. Um, and they're on Fox, you know, on, on, a, on a Saturday night or a Sunday afternoon and Joe Buck's doing the game. Joe Buck's got to be up and down the middle because he's not, you know, your home team's broadcaster. And he's also not the team that your team is playing's broadcaster. He's mm -hmm. the national broadcaster. So a lot of times he might be more open and honest and maybe even a critical at times about what he's seeing. And to the viewer, it comes off as, well, he hates my team. And that's not necessarily true. Now, the book isn't about this, but I feel like what I wanted to give some context is he gets a bad rap sometimes. And I think we have to be smart enough and look look beyond that and just realize what his role is. At any rate, I mean, the book chronicles his very close relationship that he had with his dad. His dad was um, one of the all-time great announcers in, in, in professional sports, Jack Buck. Um, many, many famous calls over the years of uh, very big moments in sports history. 
um, it talked a little bit about, you know, fighting the, the, the nepotism, you know, battle that or, or, you know, what he what was perceived as as nepotism of him of him getting his job because of his dad and, you know, some some personal issues in his life. He was going through he went through a divorce. There's a very famous story about his um, there was one point in time where he was trying hair plugs because he was losing his hair. There's a funny anecdote about that, about the immense pain that he was in and, and how the surgery kind of backfired on him. Um, there was a period from 2011 through 2012 where his voice was just completely shot because of, of some condition that he came down with and developed. And, um, his voice almost had this very tinny kind of tone to it. So there's some really good stories in there. I think it's good for, for sports fans. I mean, obviously if you're not a sports fan and you have no interest in Joe Buck, it's not something that you're going to, you know, you're going to come across, but I think Joe Buck gets a bad rap. And I think this book does a good job of kind of humanizing him. Um, and, and you hear some stories and things that he has a chance to kind of tell and, um, some personal connections with his kids that you can't read this book and not come away a fan of 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 his. I love biographies and autobiographies. I just love knowing like every detail about everyone. Yeah. And that's kind of like the best way to do it. And you did yeah. remind me that I read a non-business book earlier this year on uh, Teddy Roosevelt. And it just made me completely fall in love with him. I mean, I kind of feel like if I read a biography or autobiography about anyone, unless they're a complete jerk, I will fall in love with them. But yeah, that reading that book was was so much fun. It was like the highlight of my summer. So yeah, thanks for that reminder. I should find um, more stories like that to read, especially about presidents, which I have a fascination with. The best book I've read probably over the last three years or so is a book by an author named John Ronson. And we may have discussed this at some point in time in one of our previous episodes. The book's called So You've Been Publicly Shamed. And this is a book that I I recommend if anyone ever tweets out, hey, looking for book recommendations, I without it blinking an eye, I recommend this book. The idea behind So You've Been Publicly Shamed is it digs into this phenomenon of social media and how it seems that users of social media sort of kind of rise up as one and attack and or shame someone or something happening and they use social media to kind of do this and he frames it in the context of how you know public shamings used to be an accepted thing in society hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And we sort of have gotten away from the public shaming. I mean, we don't wheel people out into the, you know, into the street now and, and, and hurl things at them or, 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 you know, do things that kind of draw attention to their, their sins. We sort of gotten away from that. But what social media has started to do is it's brought this back when someone commits a misstep in society or does something stupid we immediately jump to social media to see what others are saying. And when they say something that is striking enough that it either draws a reaction out of us or makes us laugh, we either pile on or have a habit of trying to one-up the person. And one of the biggest examples that he uses in the book is a woman named Justine Sacco. And many of you may be familiar with Justine Sacco. If you're not, uh, Justine Sacco, maybe about, Eight years ago now, give or take, um, around this time of year, uh, closer to the holidays, but 
Justine Sacco sent out a tweet. I believe she was working for NBC at the time. I don't remember off the top of my head, but she was working for some media, multimedia outlet. And she uh, was getting on a plane to go to Africa for a uh, vacation. And she sent out a tweet and the tweet had a very um, it was a poor attempt at a joke uh, where, you know, she said, um, on my way to Africa, hope I don't get AIDS. Haha, ha, just kidding. I'm white. And she sent the tweet out, closed her phone, went to bed because it was a long flight. Mm-hmm. In the span of the flight, what started to happen was a follower of hers retweeted her tweet. One of that person's followers was a journalist for might have been Deadspin um, or or not maybe not Deadspin. What was the one that just folded not too long ago? They got tied up with the whole Kogan. They were they were a, a journalist, quote unquote, for some kind of of uh, you know not like, a very like a TMZ like a not yeah, well respected. Yeah, and I and I apologize because I'm not remembering the, the name and it's probably so obvious. But was it was a was a reporter, journalist, an employee of that? of that company saw it and he had thousands and thousands of followers retweeted it and all of his followers saw it. And then all of a sudden it started to become this like, Oh boy, you know, this is, this isn't good. This is starting to take on a life of its own. So what was happening was as this, as this woman was flying from, from New York to, to, you know, wherever she was landing in, in Africa, I don't know if she, I think she was going to South Africa. Um, as she was flying, this story started kind of exploding on Twitter without her even being involved in the conversation. So people were automatically drawing conclusions to she's a racist and she's this and she's that. And this is her father. And they were trying to figure out where she was. It wow. got so bad that, I mean, the author, John Ronson, uh, said that he came across it on Twitter the evening that it happened and realized what was happening under the cover of darkness, this person had no idea what was happening. People realized she had no idea what was happening because she was on this flight. So then this whole kind of thing became like, has she landed yet? Does she know what's about to happen? Hashtag has Justine landed yet was trending. It was the number (laughs) one trending hashtag on Twitter or something like that. When she landed, she turned her phone on And she got a text from a friend of hers whom she had not spoken with in, I want to say, a number of years. And the text just said, I'm so sorry for what's happening to you right now. And another text came in from her best friend to say, you're the number one trending topic on Twitter worldwide. And somebody was there in the airport in South Africa to capture her coming out of the terminal sunglasses on ball cap on to actually get so you get you get kind of where i'm Wait, going can with you this remind is, me because i think i missed the beginning of this who was she was she a regular person was she a, a, a journalist for all and purposes yeah she was a regular person i believe she, she wasn't like a NBC. celebrity was she verified she wasn't a celebrity she was not verified she had 118 followers okay um or thereabout but it was i think and certainly in the 100s because i remember when i read this book I had about a hundred followers too. And I was just like, Whoa, this is, I got to watch what I say. But yeah, it's, it's a book that opened my eyes to the realities of how we interact with one another on social media and hiding behind screens and taking shots at people. And there's this, there's this need to be better than that 
So what this book does is it kind of takes five or six moments in our society over the course of the last 10 years or so where this has happened. Um, you know, there's another famous example of a story about uh, a, a, a best-selling um, author named Jonah Lair, who famously um, had two-thirds of a, of, a, of a book that he was writing or two-thirds of, a, of, of something that he was putting together have to be withdrawn um, because it was it was kind of filled with uh, recycled and uh, content and press release or, or excuse me, press release copying and plagiarism and all this other stuff. I believe he went to do a speech one day at some conference or whatever it was. And it was one of those kind of one of those speeches where, you know how you have on the screens behind the presenter or behind the presenter, they have screens and you can tweet and whatever you're saying about what the person is saying comes up on the screen behind you. So it's more like an interactive thing. Yeah. Well, there were some really bad things being said about this guy on the screen behind, and it turned into this huge disaster for this individual. So it really kind of takes this, you know, it looks at this, this pitchfork mob mentality of what our society has become with social media and how social media has kind of brought back this shaming um, mentality to our world and why it's kind of ruining what social media was originally intended to be like something like Twitter, which was a place where if you had shared experiences the same experiences that I do. You happen to like a certain type of music and you and I dig the same kind of music. We could find some kind of some, you know, some connection over that and maybe have a social connection. And that's how our friendship is sort of built. We sort of took that platform and trashed it and it became this, you like this, so let me tell you why you're wrong. And then everyone kind of piles on. So that's a book that I recommend to anybody looking for something that's kind of in the realm of social media, but certainly not necessarily related to the work that that we would do as a social media strategist or digital content strategist or something like that. It's kind of more of a commentary than a how-to. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a good, I mean, John Ronson is one of my favorite authors. I've read a number of things of his over the year, but it's a, it's a really, really good book. And it really kind of makes you do some inward looking. And there are times, there are times where somebody does something on social and I see it and I want to just like, I have a funny thought or something comes to my mind and I say, Oh, this is going to get a couple of laughs and I want to put it out there and I have to stop myself because it's wrong. Like we were watching something. This is not to make me sound like a hero at all, but we were watching uh, the the Jeopardy Teen Challenge the other day, and there was a uh, there was a uh, there was a girl on the show, a young woman on the show who had a a, a very unique uh, sounding voice. It almost sounded like what you would think a a doll's voice would sound like. Um, and I had every I I went to Twitter to start seeing what people were saying, and there was some vicious or not so vicious, but funny and in the wrong way kind of things. And there are times where I wanted to be like, Oh, I kind of want to retweet this or I kind of want to say something, but you can't like, and, and I think this book has kind of not to, again, this is not making me sound like a hero at all, but I think this book has kind of made me think that way before I hit the tweet button. That's smart. Things. I text most of my thoughts to you. Though, yes. so. <laughs> I'll publish those if you ever get on my bad side. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been mentioning a lot that I read most of my books through Audible. What are your thoughts on that? There are a lot of people who are of the opinion that if you listen to a book, it doesn't count. Oh, I don't care. I, I, I've never had a problem with any of that stuff. As a matter of fact, like 
I don't like the whole, I, I come down more on that side. Of, I happen to buy the book because I like buying books. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't hate people who, you know, use their, their, their a Kindle or an iPad or use Audible or I don't have a problem with that at all. Frankly, I feel like that's kind of like it fits our society. We can multitask and we can do a number of things and, and not be bogged down with having to be like, no, I'm holding a book right now. I actually, I can't put this sandwich together at the same time. Like I have no problem with that. I think it's, I think it's a great, you know, I think it's where our society is, is, and will continue to gravitate towards. And that's exactly why I'm obsessed with my audible account, because I really do. My preferred method of reading is to read a paper book. I, I think that that's the best experience, but you can't sit down and read a paper book and like you said, make a sandwich or, or do whatever. So listening to my books gives me the opportunity to, to stay educated and to stay entertained. And I get to work at the same time or drive or work out at the gym. Yeah. Um, all of the above. So it's it's kind of like a cool opportunity that I think, you know, books on tape always existed. But now we have this whole you know, we have like access, I think, to or instant access to like so many more titles. And I don't know, there's something really cool, especially for me. I always, when I'm looking for an audible book, um, I tend to gravitate towards the ones that I know are read by the author themselves. I think mm. that that just, it adds to the experience for me. I almost shy away from the ones that are read by a narrator. Would it be more appealing if it was like a Muppet reading it? It would depend on the book. Like, all right. So like if it was like The Miracle Monday, uh, is that the title of it, by the way? Is that right? The Miracle Morning. You'll get it right by the end. Right. (laughs) If it was The Miracle Morning and it was read by like like Elmo, like that would be, you know. Uh, I I think I could maybe take five minutes of that. (laughs) (laughs) But think about how productive your morning would be not listening to that book. Yes, that's true. Right? That works. Now, Elmo would probably not be my narrator of choice. Who would be? Who would be the? If you had a, if you had a celebrity that you could listen to, a book be narrated by, who would your go-to be? Oh, good question. Oh, I have an answer, but it's a, I, um, it's one, it's one of those like you're not supposed to like this person anymore. Answer. Bill Cosby. No, I, th- <laughs> I, I, I think that Kevin Spacey is a great. He does have a good voice. Like he has a very good speaking voice. He would probably be at the top of my list for speaking only. (laughs) Yeah. Although his voice might have gotten him into trouble. So that's true. That's true. The things that came out of it. How about you? Tom Hanks. Can't go wrong with Tom Hanks. Love that guy. I I like I like Tom Hanks. You know, he he's done. I think he did uh, Ken Burns Vietnam uh, documentary. I think he was the one who did it. Um, yeah, you got to watch that. I, it, it, I, I, I like Tom Hanks. I think that I could listen to him do, do most anything and, and I'd be fine with that. That's a good choice and a, a more appropriate choice than mine. Yeah. God. There is a book that I love. It's probably my favorite uh, audio book that I have. So the book is called The Magic of Thinking Big. I don't know when this narration was recorded, but the book was written in the 50s. It has a very old-timey, it's written in a very old-timey way. Like when he talks about guys, he calls them fellows, which you know I love. So <laughs> Is there I a lo- lot of like daddy-o and that kind of no, stuff? No, not daddy-o, but if you're a feminist, you won't like this book because he will refer to people 
and he often will say like Mr. or he, like he, he will rarely refer to um, a woman doing anything of value every once in a while. But for the most part, it's like very male centric, but I take it for what it is because the message of this book is so great. But anyway, I don't know if it's, I had this association reading this book, but there was this other book that I came across that I wanted to read called The Power of Your Subconscious Mind. So when I saw that Jason Culp, the narrator, was also narrating this this <laughs> other book, I got really excited. And to me, it had the same kind of old-timey vibe. And again, I don't know if... It, I mean, it could have been recorded a year ago. I don't know. But because I was like hearing this story in this guy's voice, I now have that association with it. So... Jason Culp is my other guy who I like hearing his voice. You need to read a book about having a more productive uh, evening, apparently, as opposed to mornings. Yes. How to be a more succinct storyteller. I mean, yeah. I, I could legit use a book like that. So if anyone has any recommendations on books about um, speaking, storytelling, um, I, I mean, I feel like that's an area where I want to grow. I recognize that it's a weakness. So yeah, send me your recommendations at pod for creatives on Instagram, <laughs> Twitter, and Facebook. Would you ever consider writing a book? Yes. In fact, I've joked about it in the past, but now kind of in my mind, I'm like, I will write a book. It's just a matter of when and about what. I can actually see myself writing multiple books because I could see myself writing a book about more of a self-help type topic because I feel like that's kind of become my area of expertise, but I also would love to write fiction. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. Put these in order. Sitcom, book, content for a course you're teaching. How would you rank them in terms of what you would enjoy writing the most? Exactly in the order in which you really them. really yeah i think well i think you know we've if you're listening to this to us for the first time in this episode for some reason and haven't heard any other episodes i've mentioned how dare you <laughs> <laughs> i like how you said that in a very mindy kaling right. <laughs> um yeah, so I've mentioned a few times in past episodes that it is my secret dream to be a TV writer. So yeah, that's definitely at the top of my list. I think I just see it as I probably could make it happen. I mean, I'm someone who believes that if you want it bad enough, you can make it happen. But it feels so far out there. I don't know you saying this every time you bring this up and then I'm I give myself my own advice I'm like you should go for it you should go for it especially knowing that in that ranking that that will be at the top of my list it seems like the most fun job in the world yeah how about you I know you're not <laughs> this isn't as much of a dream for you but you have a writing background yeah I, I I think it would be interesting to write a book I have colleagues of mine um, across the country, specifically one that I know of who wrote a book a couple of years ago, two books actually. And I think it would be interesting to do something like that. Um, I think I'd have to find the right topic and certainly find something that I feel like is unique enough where there aren't competing 
not that I don't want to go up against somebody or not that I don't want to amplify something that someone's already said, but something that is generally well known enough that it's not going to really kind of have an impact one way or the other once it is published. Um, but I think the work is interesting. Um, you know, I don't know. It's one of those things where like you feel like, do you get the more, you know, something that I would like to ask an accomplished author one of these days is do you get more satisfaction out of the the process of writing or the results of the reader reading it and then hearing feedback and or, you know, whatever comes after that part where you put your work out there to the world? Because for me, I, I don't necessarily I mean, I know we're supposed to care and we do care about how people respond to content that we create on on our digital platforms and what they're doing with that to kind of help either contribute to the conversation and continue to build our community. But I get more satisfaction out of the actual work, out of the the strategizing and the creating and saying, boy, what if we tried this? I think this would be really interesting because it's going to, you know, if we do this the right way, it's going to lead us to this result. I get more satisfaction out of that. So I'd, I'd be interested to know from, from accomplished authors if that's something that they feel they get more satisfaction out of the work, the actual writing, as opposed to once you put it out there, whatever happens after that. I think there's something cool, and this is probably more of an an ego um, reason why I would want to write a, a pub or publish a book is legacy. There's something really cool about having this like tangible paper object out there that is distributed all over the world that you are a part of. I mean, and I know that you know we're putting this podcast out there, and there are people all over the world listening to it, but I don't know. There's something that's different about a book. Mm. Would you agree? Yeah, I know that feeling firsthand. It was the first time I experienced that when I was in college. I remember being in um, going to class one day and I was standing outside of the, the classroom because I was a little early. And on the table outside the classroom was the paper that that we wrote for the Chronicle. Um, and I was I was the sports, I was just a writer at the time. I hadn't become the editor of the sports section yet. And the paper was not only just open, but open and folded to my, my article. It was just left like that. And I remember looking at it being like, somebody just read that. Like somebody was reading what I wrote. And I remember just being like, that's a really cool feeling. Now, I told my dad that story a couple of days later. And my dad was like, well, how do you know? Maybe they just killed a fly. <laughs> Maybe they did. Maybe they did. <laughs> but that's a cool feeling. Like, yeah, just thinking like somebody was just reading my my article. It was folded to that section. Like, that's that's pretty neat. That's an amazing feeling. Yeah. So you should carry that with you if you ever really feel like you want to write something. Yeah. Remember how awesome that felt. I will. I will. I'll add it to my magic morning. If you've enjoyed this episode, help us spread the word on social media. Tag us at pod creatives and let us know which stood out to you. Oh, we color coordinated. We did. It's nice. It's going to look good on the video. It's going to look great. I was, I actually was going to do something and I completely forgot. Would you buy I a have, poster? Well, I have like, I do have garland and oh. such, but I didn't hang it. But I have some stray garland from last year that's hanging around. So that was going to just like kind of just be like hanging here but you were just gonna have a single piece hanging you weren't gonna like that's right yeah <laughs> can't be bothered with that the piece of duct tape probably fall <laughs> during it <laughs> that would have been hysterical 
to pull it up. I'm like, my favorite book of all time, and I can't remember the title. That always happens. Like, I feel like that always happens well, on this on this podcast. I like, like, I, I'm, I, like, we build something up, and then there's just like, but I forgot what it was called. I know what it is, but I knew that I was going to, like, butcher the words. 